0: Welcome to the Ray of Hope Church podcast. We believe that hope changes everything, so get ready for an encouraging message from the Word of God. We pray that you would receive wisdom and revelation as you grow in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's good to see you. Everybody survived the snowpocalypse uh, that happened this weekend. I told the early service, I said, I think we'd be better to throw some bones in the floor and predict the weather. I'm not for sure. You know, I, I... Got home last night, and, and uh, I turned on the news, and they said it was going to be in the, the, the 20s this morning, and everything was going to refreeze, and I got up about 6 this morning, turned the, the news on, and when the weather came on, they said, well, you know, I never got below freezing last night. And I thought, okay, right, stand with me this morning. You're looking really good. Turn to your neighbor and say, you look marvelous this morning. Marvelous, marvelous, marvelous. Well, we've been on a series, How to Have an Amazing Christmas, and if you were here with us last week, we talked about an amazing mystery, and in the Greek was the mega mysterion. And today we're going to talk about the amazing mission. You know, Jesus was on a mission when he came that first Christmas day, right? So we've been taking one text first. Timothy chapter 316 and without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels seen by angels preached among or to the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory received or went up into glory so here Paul tells us some aspects about this coming Messiah who is more than the Messiah he is God manifest in the flesh let's pray Father thank you for for your amazing grace, your love for each and every one of us. We love you. Open up our ears. Let our heart receive your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm glad you're here today. <clears throat> Two young boys were sent to their rooms to get ready for bed after a family gathering about this time of the year right before Christmas and they were to brush their teeth put on their pajamas to get ready for bed say their prayers and uh, as they did that and went through that the youngest boy began to pray and he prayed for mom and dad and all the things that he normally prayed for and, and his prayer got louder and louder and he says oh God send me a bicycle He says, God, please send me a bicycle. And his older brother said, you know, God's not deaf. You don't have to shout. He said, but Grandma is. (laughs) I mean, we have a way of wanting to get what we want to get. And at this time of the year, uh, Christmas is celebrated by believers all over the world. There are going to be millions and millions of believers celebrating Christmas. But there's also going to be millions and millions of unbelievers celebrating Christmas. They're going to exchange gifts. They can put up decorations. They don't believe in Christ. They're not Christians, but they're still going to celebrate. Carrie and I, uh, we, we took an early weekend and uh, we went up Match in Philadelphia. So we house set and we uh, kept the dog. And then uh, Aaron and Natalie said, Could you keep Riley, which is our little granddaughter, our first and only one right now? And we said, No, we don't want to keep her at all. <clears throat> We said, sure, bring her over, and so they brought uh, Riley over to uh, Matt's house, and they said, we have not been on a date, we have not been out by ourselves since the baby was born, and it's been about six months or so, and, and so we, uh, we kept the baby that night, and, and they came back early, and we we're expecting them to come back 10, 11, 12, and they came back early, and we said, why did you come back so early? Uh, we wanted to spend some more time with her, and they said, we're we'll give out. We're ready to go to bed. <laughs> And and, and so, you know, babies just do that. But this baby that's born in Bethlehem is a unique baby. And and as we celebrate Christmas and as the world celebrates, even though they do not always understand it nor believe in it, they still celebrate it. Now, while we were there, we went Christmas shopping. Can you believe that? So Carrie took me to the malls and and to the outlet mall, and she made this observation. She said, you know, Mike, She said, there's a lot of people here today and the stores are crowded because they're celebrating Christmas and so many people don't know what they're celebrating and the retailers are glad that it's Christmas because it's going to move them from the red to the black. It becomes a profit thing for them. It becomes an economic thing for them. Nothing wrong with that, so please don't understand that, uh, that I'm trying to knock it. It becomes, a, an, a, a, you know, a deal about money. It's about profit. But Christmas is so much more than that. And so don't get caught up in the trappings and people embrace it for the reason of economy, but Christmas is much more than just the hype, the profits, the economy, and more than the worldly festivities. We're going to celebrate those, but when we look at what Paul said here in First Timothy 3.16, there's some major words that I want you to get, and we've listed them here. He says that God was manifest in the flesh. So we talked about that last week. We're going to rehearse this. The God of the universe wrapped himself in flesh and came as the babe in Bethlehem. An amazing thing. Mysterious. We don't know how he does it or how he did it, but the Word says he did it. He was justified in the Spirit, vindicated by the Holy Spirit. When Jesus was uh, baptized, there was a voice booming from heaven, this is my beloved Son, hear him, I'm well pleased with him. But the Holy Spirit descended upon him, and without measure the Holy Spirit came upon Jesus justified in the spirit seen by angels, seen of angels do you know angels were always a part of the ministry and the life of Jesus He said, well pastor he was with them in glory well I understand that but the angels proclaimed his birth, the annunciation the angels came to Mary Mary this is going to happen to you the angels came to Joseph when he engaged to be woman, to be wife his fiance comes up pregnant how many of you would have an issue with that You're so holy, you'd have an issue with it. And the angel came to Joseph, don't be afraid to take Mary to your wife. So the annunciation, the the proclamation of the birth, the angels are present at the birth of Jesus. The shepherds are there. The angels fill the sky. They magnify God, uh, goodwill to men, peace on earth. You know the story. The angels are present as they warn Joseph to take the baby to Egypt because what's happening Herod is killing all the babies we'll talk about that here in a little bit the angels are present at the temptation of Christ remember when he's being tempted he hasn't eaten for 40 days and Satan is tempting him when that temptation is over the angels come to minister to Christ the angels were there in the garden of Gethsemane when Jesus is in agonizing prayer when he wanted his disciples to pray with him and they fell asleep let's don't be too hard upon him or them us. Has anybody here ever fell asleep while you're praying? It's a human thing, isn't it? But when they would not go a little further with him, the angels were there in Gethsemane to minister to Christ. They were there at the betrayal because Judas betrays, uh, Peter cuts off Malchus's ear, and Jesus had to kind of calm down the crowd. He said, do you not know that my Father would send the legions of angels to protect me? Twelve legions of angels. How many of you know he didn't need one angel? He could have spoke the word. But the angels were there at the betrayal if he would have called them. The angels rolled the stone away at the tomb. The angels were there at the resurrection. Why do you seek the living among the dead? The angels were there at the ascension. Remember the disciples are there? And all of a sudden they turn around, there's two there clothed in white that they had not previously seen. And when Jesus is going up through the clouds, the angels looked at the disciples and said, "Why you stand here gazing, this same Jesus that you've seen go shall come again in like manner. And there were angels present all through the life of Jesus. So Paul says he was seen and ministered to by angels. But they believed on him. Not just the angels, but Paul says he was believed on. The disciples believed on him. Uh, Nicodemus believed on him. Joseph of Arimathea believed on him. The crowds believed on Jesus. And he also was received or taken up into glory. All these words talk about Jesus. When did this begin? Well, I think it was beginning at the beginning, right? But it began at that moment when he is Birth at Bethlehem. Now, not only is he believed and received up, Christmas is about this amazing mission that God has. The birth, although it began at the beginning, really is unfolding at Bethlehem. So you and I, we're singing about this little town of Bethlehem. How many of you know the song? So here we are at Bethlehem, and this birth was somewhere in that region. We don't know if it was in town we don't know if it was in a stable, like we think of as a stable. We don't know if it was in a cave. We don't even know what time of the year it really was. But yet he's birthed, and this place called Bethlehem has an amazing, significant part of this story. So I'm going to ask you a question. If you have a pencil and paper, write down. Why Bethlehem? Of all the places he could be birthed, why are we talking about Bethlehem. Well, the reason we're talking about Bethlehem is because Bethlehem has an indication that started not just when Mary and Joseph arrived there, but centuries before. Let me take you back. We get some insight on this in the book of Genesis. In the book of Genesis, we have a link between Jacob's wife. Rachel and the birth of Jesus. As a matter of fact, I want to give you a verse from the Old Testament. This is Jeremiah 31:15 and this appears in the New Testament. Let me read it to you. Thus saith the Lord, a voice was heard in Rama Lamentation and bitter weeping. Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted for her children because they are no more. This verse is recited again in Matthew chapter 2, verse 18, right in the middle of the Christmas story. Why is this verse there? Because at the time that we have this Christmas narrative being played out, Herod is massacring the babies all around Palestine. Why is he killing them? Because the wise men showed up one day. They're looking for the king of the Jews. Herod thinks he's the king of the Jews. So where do you go if you're looking for the king of the Jews? You go to the capital. So they go to Jerusalem. They said, we're looking for the king of the Jews. And Herod's probably saying, I'm the king of the Jews. And they said, I don't think so. The one we're looking for is the one that's been prophesied about. We're looking for the one that's under the star. We've been following the star and we're looking for the king of the Jews. And when they gave that account to Herod, Herod in his jealousy and trying to control power, began to kill all the babies two years old and younger that were male. Many scholars believe from the center of Jerusalem, 10.5 miles in a circle, circumference around that area, from Ramah down below Bethlehem. Bethlehem is about five miles south of Jerusalem. In that entire area, his soldiers, his men, are going from house to house, village to village, city to city, pulling out the babies and killing the babies. Infanticide is taking place. Do you realize that every time God begins to move supernaturally, the devil begins to kill babies? Did you know that? When Moses is being birthed and there's going to be a deliverer to take God's people out of Egypt, guess what happened? Pharaoh ordered the killing of the babies. That's when he was put in the little reed ark and launched in the river There was infanticide. Here, Herod is doing the same thing. Do you know who's behind all this? Satan is. Killing the babies. Infanticide. What is the next major thing that you think we're looking for? The coming of Jesus. Are you looking for the coming of Jesus? Guess what's happening right now? The killing of babies. Let me tell you, it's historic. You can follow it. It's going on right now. Every time there's something major that's going to happen in the spirit... The enemy is always, always bringing death and destruction. You know, he comes to kill, steal, and destroy. That's what he does. So here Herod is killing the babies. And why is Rachel weeping? This reference to Rachel. How many of you want to learn something new today? Okay, five people. Uh, how many more want to learn something new today? Do you know what Rachel's name means? Her name means you, E-W-E. You know what a U is? The U is the mother of a lamb. Now let me tell you the story. Jacob and Rachel, the family, they're traveling from Bethel. They're, They're moving up to Ramah. And somewhere along the way, labor pains happen. She's pregnant with the second son. She's already had one baby. Joseph is born. The second one is now arriving. And how many of you ladies know that whenever labor pains hit, you don't always time it out yourself? Now, we live several miles southwest of here, and I remember when one of our boys were uh, being born, Carrie came to me and she said, uh, Mike, she said, it's time to go. I mean, you know, when it's time to go, it's time to go. And so... We had our babies, Matt and Aaron, in Chickasha. That, that's where the doctor was. It's a long way from our house to Chickasha. So we load Carrie up in the car and we're, we're headed to Chickasha. And I remember her telling me she looked at a sign that said Chickasha, so many miles. And she looked at me and she said, I don't think I'm going to make it. I said, Oh, baby, we're going to make it. We're, we're, we're going to make it. So we got there. One long she had the baby. Folks, They're they're traveling, and you you don't know when it's going to happen, right? You you start labor pains. Do you know God has a timing that's beyond our timing? Guess where they had to stop to give birth to this second son? In Bethlehem. So they stop. And the midwives, the, the ladies get together. Here Rachel is, the you who's giving birth to the lamb, right? And, and so they're there and probably in a tent. And as Rachel gives birth to this second son, her spirit is leaving her. She's dying in childbirth. But she has enough strength to push this baby out. And this little boy, this baby, she names herself... And right before she dies, she says, I will call him Benoni, the son of my sorrow. And the Bible says her spirit left her. And Jacob comes in, and and the woman says, uh, here's the good news. You have a new son. Here's the bad news. Rachel, your wife, died in childbirth. Can you feel the heart of this man? Because Rachel was Jacob's love. And I'm talking about life love. Now, if you know the story, Jacob goes to the east. He, he's going to marry a wife, and he goes to some distant relatives. His name is Laban. He has some daughters. But, but what happens is Jacob sees Rachel first. And how many of you know, the spirit of hubba hubba just went over him. I mean, he was smitten. So he, he goes and he says, I want to marry your daughter Rachel. And Laban is a schemer. And he says, if you will work for me for seven years, you can have my daughter, Rachel. And you know what, Jacob, he thought, just be weak. I love her so much. I'll work for her for seven years. So the, the marriage is arraigned. Uh, how many of you know back then brides did wear veils? And they were much thicker than the veils we wear today. And so he gets married. Uh, the veil is on. He, he goes to the, the tent. There is no GE uh, Bulbs are, there's there's no uh, LED lights. And that morning when he wakes up after the honeymoon, he looks at that person when the sun comes up and it's not Rachel, it's Leah. Shockeroo. I mean, how would you like to get up on your honeymoon morning and look over in the bed next to you and say, this is not what I thought. And some of you might have done that anyway. (laughs) Y'all are so holy. What happened? Laban deceived Jacob. And he says, hey, you you deceived me. You, You gave me Leah, not Rachel. He said, well, if you'll work for me another seven years, I'll give you Rachel. That's how much he loved her. He worked for 14 years to marry Rachel, And now she dies in childbirth. And the women said, but, but listen, she named this baby Benoni the son of my sorrow. And Jacob said, I will not call him that. I will call him Benjamin, the son of my right hand. Now listen, this is a mother's perspective. This is a father's perspective. Do you know that Mary... The mother of Jesus, when she took Jesus to the temple, Simeon, who knew that the Messiah was coming that day, took Jesus up in his arms and he looked at Mary and said, Listen, woman, this son will pierce your heart like a sword with many sorrows. You're going to watch him go up. You're going to see him rejected. You're going to see him crucified. You're going to see him die. The son of my Sorrow. Matter of fact, the Bible talks about it. Isaiah 53:3, he is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. That's how Mary saw. Any mother who saw their son abused and whipped and tortured and crucified, there is that sorrow to see your son go through that. But can I d- tell you, the father has a different perspective? He is the son of my right. How many of you know Jesus is the right hand of God according to Scripture? So this story is going on in Genesis, but it makes its way all the way to Bethlehem. Why Bethlehem? Because Bethlehem definition means the house of bread. Say that with me. The house of bread. Where better for Jesus to be born than the house of bread? You said, Pastor, why? Because Jesus said this. He said, your fathers ate the manna that came down from heaven in the wilderness. But I want to tell you, I am the true bread that came down from heaven. I am the bread of life. Where was the bread from? The bread was from Bethlehem, the house of bread. Why Bethlehem? It's the place where Samuel anointed David. He went to the house of Jesse in the city of Bethlehem, took the horn of anointing oil and poured over that boy and said, you will be the king of Israel. Why is that important? Because Saul was the king the people chose. David was the king that God chose. Where did that happen? In Bethlehem. Why Bethlehem? Because Bethlehem is where? Deity took on humanity. Bethlehem is where eternity went into our time zone. You see, in the realm of eternity, in the realm of heaven, there is no time like we know it. But God stepped out of eternity into our time. It's where royalty became poor. You say, what does that mean, pastor? Though he was rich... He became poor. This is what Paul says, Second Corinthians 8 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that through his poverty you might be rich. Listen, I believe Jesus had everything he needed. Do you believe that? But yet, in the sense of a king, king of kings, lord of lords, he didn't fit the bill as the world saw. It was a secular world, a secular view, but he came totally different. Why wasn't he born in a palace instead of a stable? Because that was the plan of God. Why would this happen the way it happened? Well I, I tell you why because Jesus can identify with your struggle. How I many of you believe that he can identify with your pain folks I know a little bit about stables, cow pens it's not too sanitary. I wouldn't suggest that's where you have your next baby But there in a stable, I don't know if it was in a structure, could have been in a cave. Matter of fact, Mary and Randy and Carrie and I, a few years ago, we were in Bethlehem twice. And there around Bethlehem is where they would birth the lambs for the temple. And these pre-shepherds would birth these lambs and what they're doing is trying to have the purest, best lamb available for Passover because the Passover lamb had to be without spot and blemish. And this was the region they birthed the lambs. Where better to have the lamb of God than where they birthed the lambs for God, right? In Bethlehem. And I remember going into a cave. And we went into a cave and the cave was blackened with the smoke over the centuries. And in the cave, that's where the shepherds would gather because of the weather and to, to get warm and, and the sheep would gather around. Matt said when you preached that sermon in the early service this morning, I could think about what you said. There the, the shepherd is and the, the sheep are gathered around the shepherd. And I thought about Jesus lying in the manger and the wise man came and, and Mary and Joseph is there and the shepherds are there. And there are the sheep, they're around the shepherd." Because he is the great shepherd. Not only is he the lamb, he's also the shepherd. So you and I have come to this place to realize that Jesus can identify with our struggles. The poor have an advocate. The poor have an identification of the message of hope to the poor. Matter of fact, the psalmist said this, Psalm 140 verse 12, I know that the Lord secures justice for the poor and upholds the cause of the needy. These people are living under the rule of the Romans. It's not a good time. There's darkness. But yet there was light that came in darkness. This baby born in Bethlehem came with a mission, an amazing mission. Now, what was that mission? Well, we get it from Scripture. Would you follow along with me? The angels give us indication of the mission. Now, listen to what the angels said to Joseph he shall save his people from their sins there needs to be a savior Mary the angel Gabriel said to her he will be great he will reign on his father David's throne and reign over the household of Jacob forever of his kingdom there will be no end Zachariah the, the father of John the Baptist when the Holy Spirit moved upon him and he prophesied he says the God of Israel has visited his people to redeem them Do you hear that? that the God of Israel came and visited his people and brought redemption. He's raised up the horn of salvation. He's come that we might serve him in holiness and righteousness. The angels appeared to the shepherds in the field. There is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And Jesus was not just coming to teach us about morality. He did not just come to show us a formula to get better. Can I tell you we need a Savior? We were too far gone for a tweak. We were too far gone for just a little mechanic under the hood. We were terminal. You were terminal today without Jesus. We need a Savior, and Christmas brought us the exclusive solution to sin. He is not a solution; He is the solution. Let me tell you a story. Many of you have heard me share this many times, but it's so significant. I want to share it with you again. Many years ago, a lady came to our church. I did not know her; she was new. And I got to meet her and I said, let me ask you a question. Why are you here? She said, well, it's kind of a story, Pastor. Let me tell you this story. She and I have been a a member of a church there in Duncan for years, the denominational church, and said our pastor would preach. And there were some things about his preaching that really alarmed me and began to kind of, you know, put a little thought in my mind, what's going on here? So she said I went to him one Sunday after the sermon and said, Pastor, can you help me out here? Do you believe that Jesus is the only way to get to heaven? And this is what her pastor told her. So said, that's the way that we've chosen. The Muslims have chosen to get there one way. The Buddhists have chosen to get there one way. But we've chosen to get there through Jesus. Now, friends, I want to tell you something. That's not the gospel. That's not the gospel. So she said, I was so alarmed, I, I, I went to my friends who were also members of the church and said, our pastor doesn't even believe that Jesus Christ is the only way to get to heaven. And she said, I can't set under this. I'm going to go somewhere else. So she came here, was here for several years till she got older and went to live with her, uh, with her daughter. But she said, what shocked me more than what my pastor told me was the fact that my friends said, well, we are going to stay because we've always been this. Isn't that amazing? We've always been this, so we're going to stay. And she said, I was shocked that they would sit under that when he didn't even believe that Jesus was the only way to get to heaven. Now, friends, I want to tell you something. I believe the Word of God. And you and I need to believe the Word of God. So this is not a solution. He is the solution. He's not a Savior. He is the Savior. And if we don't believe that, then we don't understand there is an exclusive remedy for sin. On August the 5th, 2010, there was a cave-in in a copper mine in Chile. Any of you remember that? There were 33 Chilean miners that were trapped. 2,300 feet underground in a cave-in in a mine. They're three miles from the entrance that's caved in. There's no way that people can go through the entrance and get to these miners before they're going to die. There's no way the miners can get to the entrance because it's about three miles away. They're close to a half a mile deep under the earth. They have enough food to last two to three days. They're there 69 days. They ate once every 48 hours. They dug to find water that was coming through the mine. They drank the water from the radiators of the equipment that was left in the mine. Each man lost 18 pounds apiece while we were there for 69 days. How are we going to save these guys? How are we going to get them out? So the mines began to come together. The wheels began to spin. And they said, the only way that we can get these miners out alive is we may have the possibility to try to pinpoint where the shaft is where they're contained and drill a hole down and penetrate the shaft and some way get them through the hole to save them. And so they, they got the drilling equipment took them a long time 69 days then they drilled down and by a miracle they actually pierced the cavern where the miners were lodged and they let down On a cable, they they let down an apparatus where one man at a time could get in and be pulled up. On August, from August to October, they reached that shaft on October the 12th. It took them to the 13th to get all 33 men out. They're emaciated. They're close to death. But they got all 33 men out alive. But what if there was one man there in that mine who said, I don't believe in holes. I don't believe in cables. I don't believe in getting out through a hole. There's got to be another way. Can I tell you something? There was no other way out of that collapsed mine except the hole that they penetrated in the top of that mine. Their escape was totally exclusive. So when you hear someone say this, well, I don't believe that Jesus can be the only way. That is a philosophical lie. Are you listening to me? Some of you are going to go to college, you're going to hear it. You're going to listen to the radio. You're going to listen to television. You're going to listen to highly educated people say there's no way Jesus can be the exclusive way to heaven. There was only one way out of that mind. See, we, we believe this on so many levels. But when it comes to Jesus, we don't. The only way out of the mind was to get in the cage, be lifted up. To see the daylight, if you don't get in, you're lost in the cavern. You will never, ever find the light of day again. When Jesus came, he didn't say, I am the way. I am kind of a way. I may be the way. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. He is giving exclusive claim, not only to deity, but to heaven. The only way you and I can get to heaven is through Jesus Christ. Not because I thought this up. This is the message. This is the gospel. The gospel is the preaching of the good news. Because what Paul said, he was manifest in the flesh, seen of angels. He went through here and he says preach to the Gentiles. Preach what? Good news. Do you know Jesus preached good news? That there has to be repentance and the establishment of the kingdom of God. I'll tell you what's good news. You and I don't have to go to hell. You and I don't have to die in our sins. We can be saved. That's extremely good news. It's good news I don't have to live under the law anymore. That's good news because if you did, you'd be under a pile of rocks somewhere. Come on. We've all done stuff, haven't we? But the good news is this amazing thing about Christmas is that we have a way to get to heaven. Who we were building this building? I shared with some of you. There was a a consultant we brought in for kind of an aesthetic, artistic, you know, kind of a thought about the building, colors and different things. So our uh, contractor brought in a guy, and he he was a nice guy. His name was Jim. And Jim was from Texas, very uh, prolific, very good. He has artwork in the Buddy Holly uh, Museum and Tex Ritter and things at the Alamo. I mean, this guy's very smart. But, but he's kind of a leftover hippie. Uh, anybody remember the 60s? Someone said if you can remember the 60s, you weren't in the 60s. But anyway, some of you get that on the way home. So, so Jim comes in and, and I had uh, breakfast and lunch with him a couple of times. We consulted. And in one of those times, this is what Jim said. He said, Pastor Mike, of course he knew. you know, I'm a pastor. We're working on a church here. He said, Pastor Mike, there's a lot of people that believe there was a young rabbi who left Palestine and went to the Far East and studied uh, Buddhism and then came back to uh, Israel and started a new religion. I knew where he was going in this conversation Be- because you have to understand that Jim was into Eastern religions and, and Buddhism and Eastern mysticism and Egyptology. And, and he shared that with me. So when he said, there was a young rabbi who left Palestine, went to the Far East, studied Buddhism, and came back and started a religion. I know where he's going with this conversation. And when he said that to me, I said, Jim, that's interesting. If Buddha had been a contemporary of Jesus, He should have left the Far East and came to Palestine and learned how to resurrect from the dead. And he didn't know what to say. The conversation turned. He said, you know, that's interesting. I'd like to talk to you some more about that. I said, Jim, I'd love to visit with you about it. Jesus claims exclusive right to forgive your sin. He has exclusive right to get you to heaven. He's not a savior. He is the savior. The message of Christmas is that Almighty God wrapped himself in flesh, came as the Son of God, and he came for one purpose and one purpose only, and that is to save his people from their sins. He didn't just wipe your sin away. He paid for it. Listen up. A perfect man in the Garden of Eden without sin sinned. And a perfect man had to take on sin to pay for that original sin. And guess what? When Adam fell, the second Adam that Jesus is called in Scripture came as the Lamb of God without sin, but he took your sin and he took my sin and he went to Calvary and he paid for that sin. I'm about to get on my soapbox. This is more than entertainment and culture and skinny jeans and lights and and smoke and bliss. This is about the Savior and your sin and my sin. Without Christmas we're lost. But with Christmas we're saved if we know Jesus. Understand I'm not against all that other stuff but honey let's keep the main thing, the main thing. we don't, we do a disservice to ourselves and everybody who hears us. Jesus, the Lamb of God came to pay the ransom for the sins of the world. It was an amazing mission. And at 12 years old he looked at his mother and he said Mother, Should I not be about my father's business? The Bible said he set his face like a flint to go to Jerusalem. And the disciples, all those around him said, don't go. If you go, they're going to kill you there. You think he said, I know it. That's why I'm going. Because if I don't go there and die... You're going to be eternally lost. Jesus came to save sinners. And Paul said, I'm the chief of sinners. But I think if we could get in a race with Paul, some of us would raise our hand and say, no, Paul, I think I'm worse than you. No, I'm worse than you. Guess why? This is not a sinner competition. This is a salvation message. Jesus came on an amazing mission that all of us